This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, A Love Summons, A Call to Maturity, from Paul's letter to Galatians, where we are called to embrace freedom. Galatians 3, uh, 1 through 14 says this. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you suffered so many things for nothing, if indeed it was for nothing? Does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who believe are blessed along with Abraham the believer. For all who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith, but the one who does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. All right, here we are in uh, this series, The Love Summons. It is a call to maturity, and I love that, uh, just that thought. We're going through Paul's letters, and each one of them has this opportunity to, to call us uh, to something that we don't, are not naturally prone to have. And so uh, there's this, there's this un- a- a- unbelievable thing that God is doing, and he has the authority to call us to assemble together. It is indeed what the church is. Uh, it's a gathering of those summoned. It's not just that you were kind of called and it's like, hey, would you like to respond to my invitation? No, you've been summoned in authority. But that authority that he is summoning us with is done so in love. A love summons. And so he wants you to be able, he's inviting you to be able to grow in maturity. Uh, And then we've been looking through a number of different uh, letters from Paul, and we are here in Galatians. And the the, the big theme is embrace freedom, but that needs to be understood kind of contextually because we're not just going like embrace freedom to an American crowd and and then all Americans go, woo, yeah, freedom, that's awesome. Right? Like freedom's good, right? Yay, freedom. Now that, but we're talking about a specific freedom. Freedom or from or to be called to separate from legalism. So we are a holy people, and, and, and that holiness is being separate from things that don't bring life. And I have a little tip for you. Legalism does not bring life. 
and so we're kind of working our way through what does that look like to be separate from legalism. We've recognized uh, that Paul is an apostle, and he uh, is one who has been sent by God, sent by Christ to further the promise of life in Christ, and so we have that as well. Then we are, are looking at these last week, this week, and next week at least, we are looking at this specific idea of separate from approval by obedience. Now, I know that's kind of a jumbled phrase, but I want you to kind of live with that and wrestle with that language, and we're going to unpack it a little bit for you, because I think the more the church understands that it is our responsibility as holy people to separate from this desire to be approved on the basis of our obedience the healthier our churches will, come, will become, the healthier our, our, our individual lives will become if we are not operating somehow with this, this notion that our approval is based on our obedience. Uh, Paul is coming back here. That's really kind of what Galatians is all about, coming back and saying, no, that's not how it is. Now, last week we looked at this idea that the gospel is an invitation to believe in Christ as our substitute. Uh, he, he died for our sins. And so this, this aspect of going, okay, wait a minute, part of that corruption is involved in us becoming legalistic, and so we were unpacking that. Uh, if, particularly in Galatians, if your initial approval comes by believing in Jesus, do not return to trying to win approval through obedience. That's what we're unpacking in these three weeks. All right, so we're going to look at some, some other ways that that is applied. Embrace freedom, approval by belief, okay? Separate from legal, legalism, approval by obedience. Let's jump into it. In this particular passage, Paul is coming back to this idea of how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I want to point you toward, I mean, I mean go to the, my Acts sermon series. No, no, don't do that. Go to Acts. Just go to Acts. Uh, and you see very quickly in Acts, Peter and the rest of the church taking this gospel message and going from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, to all of the world. This idea that we, we have this great news that needs to be heard in all the world. And he takes this message, this very kind of almost Jewish-centric message, understood in their worldview. They're still trying to figure out what is happening here? Because they have all kinds of worldview influences that are not entirely accurate of the gospel. And so Jesus is slowly bringing their attention to, no, that's not what is meant uh, when it comes. He did it while he was here on earth. Uh, they would, they would uh, come to him with all different types of questions, and oftentimes it was centered in kind of almost a very materialistic or physical sense and Jesus was saying, yeah, I get it. The physical, that, yes, that, the physical is good. God created the earth and he said it was good, right? We don't want to just somehow take the physical and say that it's bad. Jesus never said that. He, he's, he's affirming the physical, but he's saying to his disciples, you got to move past a mere physical or material understanding of the world. You have to understand the spiritual reality that exists that undergirds and is entwined in all of our, uh, you know, existence. And, and, and you can tell that the disciples are they're trying to figure that out, and how does that work 
with their traditions. So here's Peter. He's like he's a believer in Jesus, right? We, we've uh, has that. The, the disciples have already been given the Holy Spirit. This is brand new uh, kind of existence for, for the disciples. Remember uh, what's happening in Scripture, okay? When you just look at the big story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you have this idea of God progressively getting closer to man. It's one of the beautiful things about Christianity. It's unlike most other religions, where most other religions you're kind of like, how do I please God? Oh, I'll just work, do this, do that, right? You're, there's all these benchmarks for getting closer to God. God essentially looks at humankind and says, like, like I created something that was good. You corrupted it, and I'm not going to let you have the final word. And so he begins a process of recreating the world by progressively getting closer to us. Think in Genesis how it says that God visited mankind, he walked with mankind. Very specifically, it does not say he dwelt with mankind. And as you go progressively through scripture, what you see is the Trinitarian presence of God beginning to dwell with mankind. You talk about the Shekinah glory and how the Shekinah glory dwelt among the people in a very tangible sense. So that when the glory of the Lord departed Israel, the people were like, uh, we, we saw the glory depart. We saw that. Like, he used to live and dwell among us, and now he has left us and abandoned us. But what did he promise in, in that? He promised to send his son who dwelled among us. And then what did we do to the son? What mankind always does. We corrupt whatever God does. And so we killed the Son of God, but even in that, Jesus noted, it is better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell among you. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? Yeah, in us. In us. Two places Corinthians talks about it. In the church and in us individually. And so when you think about the presence of God, and uh, Nigel preached on this a couple of weeks ago, we should never minimize the fact that somehow the spirit of Jesus is in us. And, and so when you think about kind of Jesus being incarnate, he's still bound by space and time to a location. Now he could go wherever he wanted if he wants to, but largely he was in Israel. Now his spirit resides in us and can go everywhere, maybe even Mars. Right? Like, I mean, it feels like maybe if we can dream it, it seems like God is able to somehow make it, like, allow us to cooperate to make it happen. I mean, uh, that might sound a little ridiculous to you, but uh, a couple of generations ago, it sounded ridiculous that the Holy Spirit could go to the moon. But the Holy Spirit can go there because we can go there. And I don't want to minimize that. I want you to, like, feel that and sense that and live with that, that uh, the fact that we are the hands and feet of Christ. And so we're able to get in and, and, and be that to all the world. So we have this progression, but our hope does not end with the Holy Spirit. No, we're hoping that the second person of the Trinity comes back and he dwells with us again. But even there, mankind rebels and is corrupted. And so we have what? This future hope in Revelation. When the Father himself does what? He comes down and he resides with us. 
And what is the commentary? Then there will be no tears. Then there will be no death. So we have this progression. The, full, the, the fullness of the Trinity is progressively getting closer to us. And the disciples, for the first time, that this is what we have to kind of now come back into the passage and go, whoa, these Jewish believers are experiencing something remarkable for the first time. They had Jesus there, and that was pretty awesome because they were able to ask him all kinds of questions. They were following him around. They were able to, I mean, I, I, mean, I probably would have been joking with Jesus. And then you have those uh, after-death resurrection epiphanies like, really? I wasted my time joking with Jesus? I should have been asking him other questions. You have this, and then his spirit descends on the disciples. This is brand new, Okay. Holy Spirit is coming and dwelling in, a, in, a, in a, a way unlike he had ever done in the Old Testament. So now, here are these Jewish believers going, oh, the progression of God's getting close. We're experiencing this is awesome. And now they're taking still a somewhat corrupted worldview, and they are taking this message out into the world. And Peter finds himself among some Gentiles. One of them is named Cornelius. Gentile being not Jewish not familiar with the traditions of Judaism, not familiar that, that salvation is possible, uh, and also not abiding by the law. And Peter begins to preach the gospel. And he says this, he says, there's a guy, I don't know if he says it exactly like this, but I'm going to say that he says it like this because it feels fun. There's a God who's able to raise the dead back to life through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. And you know what happens to Cornelius? Boom! The same thing that happened to Peter and the disciples. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you were Peter and you were watching what was happening, you would be floored and going, wait a minute. Uh, uh, salvation, in my worldview, was for the, pe like the Israel and Jewish people. And now the same evidence of the Holy Spirit that has been gifted to us is now in Gentiles? And, and how did it happen? How did these Gentile believers get the Holy Spirit? They did not have the law to turn to, to somehow go, we're going to win the approval of God because we'll, be, we'll obey the law. No, they got the Holy Spirit because they simply did what? They believed. And so Paul is now coming back to the Galatians. He's now seen this. So now, fast forward, now we're dealing with Paul. Paul it becomes one of these disciples who's going into all the Roman Empire and preaching this message, and he's seeing the same thing that happened to Peter. And he's going, this is unbelievable. Like, Paul, he was a, he's a Pharisee. He was trained in the law. And he's going into all these different places. He's like, I'm going to try it again. This is, uh, I mean, I, Peter told me this is what happened. I'm going to try it. And so he goes, there's a God who's able to raise the dead back to life through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. And he goes into these different synagogues and different areas, and Gentile believers are like, boom! I like that. That's fun. Is that too loud? That was too loud. That one was too loud. Boom! Is that better? A little better. Boom! I think it was bigger, bigger than that, I think. I think it was bigger than that. It's the Holy Spirit. Come on. They're baptized into the Spirit is what is happening. And so they are, are, are suddenly, and, and Paul's like, if, if it worked here, I'm going to the next town and trying it. And believers, uh, people who are being, have the tangible evidence of the Spirit are popping up everywhere 
from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all genders. It, it, and when I say that, I, <laughs> I'm only referring to two. But everybody, when they hear this message, they're believing. It's unbelievable. So this message. So now Paul is coming back, and we have this human tendency to come back, and we go, ah, good. Now uh, I've learned my whole life that my approval comes on my actions and what I do. So now that I'm a believer, I'll just continue to get his approval by doing actions. And Paul's coming back. He's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit by doing actions. You received the Holy Spirit by simply believing. Like, let's continue uh, according to that. You'll see that in Colossians. You'll see that in Romans. Paul's message is very consistent when it comes to the law. Don't allow that natural tendency to seek approval based on your obedience. That's not how you first got it. So why would you, why would you start? So the, the greater question then, I think, for our audience, right, as we, as we begin to think of this, is how do we win God's approval? I think we need to come back and revisit that. That's what's un, being uncovered here in Galatians. And I think I like that language, how do we seek God's approval? But the biblical language behind that is really how are we justified? And what does how are we justified mean? It means how are we declared righteous? Now, I would appeal to you that many people try to declare themselves righteous, okay? In today's vernacular, you might talk about virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is one way that we come back and we declare ourselves righteous because we are being obedient to the values of the system. And we come back and we're like, look how righteous I am. I'm, I'm following the Black History Month and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, right? You're appealing to all these different things and you are somehow announcing about yourself that you should be accepted or approved because you are righteous or you have uh, been doing the right things. Now, I, I got to get you to, to make a step here. So you're going to have to walk into this with me, all right? How many of you have ever been pulled over by the police? Come on. All right, the rest of you liars. Okay, or self-righteous people. No, I'm just how many of you? How many of you ever been? You don't even have to raise your hand. How many of you ever been in front of a judge? Okay, here's what I want you to begin thinking about what that was like to be in front of an authority and you probably trying to make an appeal for their approval. And they didn't need that appeal at all to make a determination about you. I remember I was coming down from Saddle Road. I was cruise control going up, and I just left the cruise control on because the cruise will eventually limit, you know, as you decrease in speed coming down the hill, it'll eventually govern. Well, the governing took too long, and I passed a police officer. And I got a ticket for going like, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles per hour over, and it was the most ridiculous thing. And so I wrote this long letter to the judge, and I was just like, I had cruise control on. I was, it was, it was, it was going to catch up. I, and I didn't even get a response back, folks. He could care less about me justifying why I was over the limit. He could care less. 
He was simply there to enforce the law. You went over, you violated it, you're done. When you think about standing in front of an authority and the capriciousness of earthly authorities not to even have to listen to you before they make a verdict, now I want you to take that and put yourself in heaven's court. And I want you to be standing before the Father who knows everything about you. Not just your actions, but even the motives of your actions. Those times when, you, by all appearances, it looked like you made the right choice, but your motives were way more selfish than what you would like to be exposed. I want you to sense you standing and somehow crafting an argument to an almighty God who knows everything about you that will somehow justify you as being righteous in his sight. Folks, I know a beyond a shadow of a doubt what I would do in that situation. I would nod to the one who covered over all that corruption. His name is Jesus. He's standing right there with you. He has offered and invited you to take him as your substitute because then the Father God who's watching this whole scenario and hearing your pathetic and pitiful self-justifications for why you should have righteousness, be in right standing with God, and you then, instead of going down that pitiful, ridiculous road, you nod to his son, and he looks over and he goes, oh, you're one of them. You're calling on Jesus, my son, who was perfect. Oh, I love my son. If you're calling on him, if you believe in him to cover over your sins, you, my friend, are also my child. That's the situation that is in front of you. How do we win God's approval? It is never, there's never any possible justification for you to come back and somehow go, but, 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 because there's always going to be buts. No, the only possible justification is to nod your head at the perfect one who's substituting his life for yours. So that's, how we are justified. When you think about how that happened the very first time, I love this language of Galatians. I stressed it as I read it, that the gospel was preached to whom? Abraham. The gospel was preached to him. Now, you think about the promises of God, and that's why we always come back to this like flower right, that is in a bud form, and the bud was preached to Abraham, and inside that bud were all the promises of what we now see opened up to become the full flower, where we go, oh, Jesus was in the bud, oh, substitute, oh, resurrection was there, oh, this is, all of that was preached to Abraham, and Abraham, he experienced being declared righteous by God himself because he did what? He simply believed. And so Abraham becomes our father in faith when we simply believe. That's how we are declared righteous. Now, in, it depends on what tradition you're in. In Roman Catholic tradition, justification conflates uh, sanctification. So when they talk about being justified, they do talk about still being good and doing good works. But in Protestant tradition, we separate those two and we go, nope, there's a point in time in which you were declared righteous. 
That happens when you believed the gospel for the very first time. Then the rest of your life you have this opportunity to work out your salvation. Paul's coming back and saying, but don't ever stop doing it in belief. You don't ever return somehow after your justification and, and then you move into sanctification and go, now I'm going to get the approval by being obedient. No, now, now this is how it'll work. I'll, I'll now win his favor. Okay, I got it. He declared me righteous, good. But for him to continue to love me, to continue to like me, I better start really being obedient. No, that's, but Paul's going back and saying, no, that's not how it's done. So let's ask a couple things. Let's, let's look through this. We cannot declare ourselves righteous, not only at the point of salvation, but nor can we declare ourselves righteous later, right? So we have that moment where we turn to Jesus and we're like, okay, we're, you're, we're, I trust you to cover over my sins. I got it. I got it. Okay, I'll take it from here. No, you, you will not be, that's, you will never, God will never be, look down and be like, oh, you're finding my approval by doing it on your own with human effort. No, he'll never do that, okay? We cannot declare ourselves either at the point of the beginning or throughout. Uh, we can't do that. We can't declare ourselves righteous. We cannot find approval ever at the beginning or through by uh, finding approval in obedience, all right? Yeah, are you ready for this? Because I'm about to, I know, you, I, feel, I know that you feel like you're on solid ground right now, right? But there's a rug underneath you. And I'm about to pull that rug right out from underneath you. You ready? Get ready to grab something. Are you ready? I don't feel like you're ready. I feel like you're just going to fall over. This is going to be sad. Nor should we approve others by their obedience either. Ooh, ooh, church, I'm speaking to us. You see, not only is the barometer not our obedience with God to be found righteous in his sight, but other people's righteousness is not our barometer of their obedience. Okay? You see what I'm saying here? We do not somehow apply the law to others and go, oh, they can teach and preach in our church because they've shown it. They're, they're, they're approved. They've been obedient enough to do it. Oh, no, that's, that's not how we do things. We do not somehow like, have a checklist of things. We go, okay, they've done this, check, check, good. Now you can participate. No, 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 your participation comes on what factor? What is the barometer? Because you believe. Because you believe. So we don't somehow create a new system, a new metric as we engage with others. No, we engage with God. Now, I know, here's, this is, a, you guys, this is complex, all right? You ready? Because you're out there sitting there thinking, wait a minute, Paul is accusing people of bad actions and saying, clean, your, clean it up. He's giving you elders a, a criteria for which they should be elders for. Certainly, there's a barometer according to obedience. No, no, not the one you're thinking of. Because you're thinking about the law. You're thinking about do's and don'ts. But Paul is offering, Peter is offering, Jesus is offering us a new barometer, and it's a, a simple law. It's a divine law. It's the only law that brings life. It's the law that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Do you see the difference? You see, do's and don'ts get me into a position 
that exposes stuff about me, all right? I can, be, I can have a happy marriage and life with Rebecca on the basis of just following do's and don'ts. Be, you know, I can earn her approval simply by being obedient, right? Like, I can not sleep around. That would be good, right? Yeah, you'd be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, I could tell the truth, right? That would be good. Um, I could, or not lie, right? There's a whole bunch of do's and don'ts that I could just kind of be like, and then we, you know, at some point she'd come to me and she'd be like, I just, I just don't know if I feel the love anymore. You, you've had those conversations with one another, right? Where it's just like, I don't know if you really love me. And, and, and then I'd be like, well, what are you talking about? Look at all the things that I have done that should indicate my love for you. And it would, I could all be based on doing or not doing a certain set of things. Okay, that would be a very legalistic relationship with my wife. And legalism does not bring life. It brings death. It, it, it should be obvious. So the, the reality is Jesus is inviting me and he's saying, love her. Be motivated out of your love for her. Not, not according to some list of do's and don'ts, but simply love her. Now, if I loved her, would I sleep around? No. If I loved her, would I tell her lies? No. If I loved her, would I, you know, and here's the, this is the, this is the hard thing, all right? Because there ain't no end to loving, right? Like do's and don'ts, there's only 613. And I think if the Pharisees looked at it and they're like 613 or never ending, I'll go with the 613. And I think the church still leans back into going, 613 laws is a lot easier than never-ending love. Because where does it dry up? At what point can you say, I have fulfilled loving my wife. I cleaned the dishes once this week. Has that fulfilled loving my wife? No, if I clean the dishes once, once a day, every day for a week, would that fulfill the love of my wife? If I did it once every day for a whole year, would that fulfill the loving my wife? No, there is no end to our love for one another. Now, I'm talking about a relationship in which I have some need, right? Like, I'm willing to jump into it with her, and even if it's on do's and don'ts, I'm like, ah, I'll do the do's and don'ts just because she feeds me, right? Like, I need, I'm in it with her. I'll figure it out. The rest of you... Do not feed me. Often. Some of you do, sometimes. But what motivation do I have to somehow fulfill do's and don'ts with you? What motivation do I have? I mean, I, could, I can drum up some reasons why I would have motivation. E I easily, I can, I mean, that's what, these social contracts that we have. We drum up reasons of why uh, we need to not do or do do things. But that's based on the law. The reality is Christ is coming back and he's saying to every one of us, you need to love one another. There's no end to that love. Even with the other. You see, it's one thing when I've got an affinity for somebody that I can relate to, that I can kind of be in it together because we share values. But what about the people that are different from us. And there's a whole host of differences that have divided 
people all through time, whether it's race, whether it's age, whether it's gender, whether it's what name your other. And Jesus comes back and he says, you need to love the other as much as you love yourself. And there's no end to the love. That's why when Peter comes to him and says, ha, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times surely is enough, right? That's once per week, one, one day per, per week. And Jesus comes back and goes, no, no, 70 times seven. Essentially, he's saying there's no end to the amount of times that you need to find forgiveness in your heart. Folks, this is the gospel. We cannot somehow take the gospel and go, ah, Jesus, thank you for substituting yourself for my corruption at this point in time. I got it from here on out because the 613 laws are a lot less taxing on me than loving people indefinitely. No. The gospel invitation is not only do you have to accept it here, but you have to live in it. So somehow you have to kind of embrace this freedom to earn approval simply by belief. And that belief comes back to trusting that God is coming closer to us and he has empowered us with his spirit to be able to love the other inexhaustibly. If you are thinking about how tiring it would be to love somebody inexhaustibly, you are probably not connected to the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will never be able to accomplish approval by belief by being apart from the vine. And yet somehow in our churches, we have taken the vine for this point in time, and then we lopped ourselves off, and now we are somehow trying to continue on without being connected to the vine. Folks, we have to continue to come back to the vine. It's one reason why we would do that at the table, right? That we would nourish ourselves at the table because the table is that ongoing proclamation of this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. It's what Paul says in this passage. How can you possibly deny this? Christ Jesus was vividly portrayed for you as crucified, what that means is that his love was evidenced. The amount of love, the inexhaustible love that he has for you is what he wants you to have for everyone else. This is the gospel. Not some separation where we get justified and then on our own we get sanctified. No foolish church. <laughs> I hope you hear what I'm saying. Paul opened by saying, you foolish Galatians. No, us foolish church, let us come back, connect to the vine. What's that going to look like for you? Be in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship with one another. And as you do that, allow the Holy Spirit, uh, begin to have that conversation with the Holy Spirit and ask him, Father, I, I don't have the power in my, in my, own, in my own power, to strength, to be able to love the other, but you can give me that power. What will that look like for you today? Do not let today go by without having that conversation. Each day, ask what would it be like for you to, to 
come back and ask the Holy Spirit, how would you help me love the other as much as I love myself? Folks, if you start doing that, the world is not going to, like, we have shame coming through those doors because we can never get enough obedience and approval for that obedience. And other people, uh, because we've gauged other people on that same barometer, they don't want to walk through those doors. And so here's this invitation. Embrace freedom by simply believing. God is able to do it for you. He's able to give you the power. Separate from this sense of legalism and seeking approval by obedience. Father, we are going to need your spirit. It's the only way. But you've promised him, and we have experienced him in so many ways already. We just ask that you continue to pour out your spirit in a mighty and powerful way, that we are connected to the vine in order that we might be able to have the power to love one another. That love is going to include forgiveness. That love is going to include serving one another. That love is going to include so many different ways that we are able to honor the other in our midst. Father, will you, uh, will you do the work? Will you allow us then to cooperate with your spirit in order to do that work? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.